This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. We'll be reading uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24 this morning. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is another Sunday, another sermon out of another difficult text that is revealing to us the depth of our depravity. And Lord, there's a reason why you want us to see this again, and you've put on me as the pastor the task of unpacking this again. There's a reason why Paul spent so much time here, and Lord, we um, ask for that to go deep in our hearts. Help us not to resist. Help us not to push against what your word reveals, but God, let it push us to the cross. Let it push us to Jesus, who has won our redemption. And I pray, Father, this message today, that through the preaching of your word, we'd make much of your son, but also take our own sin seriously as we seek him for forgiveness and help. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, as I just prayed, probably as you read this text, the response to this could have been, oh no, here we are, another sermon on a very hard topic. We are talking again about our sin. We're talking again about how we've fallen short, and there's a more text on that, Pastor. Why are we spending another sermon on this? And I, I would say we're spending another sermon on this because we're preaching verse by verse to the book of Romans, and uh, Paul spends a long time on this. And so then the question could be, well, why does Paul spend so much time talking about depravity? Because here we now, we're in chapter two, middle of chapter two, we're on it still. So we've been through chapter one, chapter two. By the way, it's gonna keep going into chapter three. So why is Paul spending so much ink on the depravity of man? Well, I wanna give you two reasons why I believe that's true, okay? So here's reason number one why I believe that is true. I believe it's true because justification by faith alone in God's grace alone is only sweet when we've embraced our own depravity. 
Justification by grace alone, of a faith alone, in his grace alone, uh, lifts the burden only if we have felt the burden. And can I remind you where we are going? Look again in Romans chapter 3, and I want to go to verse number 21 again to kind of see where we're headed. We'll get there soon. Well, I say soon, but you know. Uh, 321 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Everyone say apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that's sweet and that's precious because I know how little I deserve it. Grace by faith alone in his grace alone is only sweet when we've embraced our depravity. But here's the second reason. We don't really believe we're depraved. Bad sometimes, sinful too often, but sinners and all of mankind really is essentially evil? Because my neighbor's not a Christian, but he's not that bad of a guy. My coworker, they're pretty nice. And I'm supposed to believe that somehow, some way, that they're all essentially evil? In fact, I'm gonna go as far as to say, I think depravity might be one of the key doctrines that pushes people away from, or, or, or is pushing Christians to deconstruct their faith. Like the fact that they haven't believed truly in depravity has messed up their thinking to the point where they're beginning to really question everything when they begin to question this truth that God presents of the total depravity of man. So uh, Grant and I, uh, we went to a concert. He, uh, um, for my birthday, he bought me a concert to sing King's Kaleidoscope. And um, don't know a whole lot about him. I've heard some of their music and he loves them. So I wanted to go. And by the way, you know how reserved Grant is normally? He was not reserved at that concert, none in the least. Uh, but opening for him was this group called Mike Manis and the Branches, and, or Mike Mains and the Branches. And I don't know a whole lot about them, but I kind of like their vibe. I like their vibe. I like the sound of their music. That sounds pretty cool. So I went and looked up some lyrics, and I'm like, uh-oh. Because this was a pre-chorus to one of his songs called Losing My Head. The pre-chorus goes, these crooked thoughts are the ones I keep for my religious friends. Is it really good news if nearly everyone burns in the end? I'm telling you, this is one of the key attacks against the gospel. Because the underlying theology that's being questioned there is depravity. Are people really that bad? Are they really that bad? Well, Jesus said that the path that leads to heaven is what? Narrow. And the path that leads to destruction is wide. So the question always is, what does God's word say? 
And if you take this depravity issue and you question it and question it and question it, can I show you where it leads? I mentioned it this few weeks ago that I have a podcast I was listening to. And on this podcast, it was one by Natalie Huffman. And someone had said, hey, you should listen to this. So I did. And uh, there was an interview. She was interviewing a guy named Kristen, Crispin Mayfield, and he's a Christian psychologist. And in that, in that podcast, he was coming against depravity pretty hard. In fact, he was saying this, this teaching of depravity is something that we have to heal from. And then she really resonated with that, and she said this, I was taught that Jesus had to die on the cross for us and then he was our go-between. So God can't look at us because we are so disgusting, but Jesus, thank goodness, Jesus is going to stand between us and God. Now, a little too far, God looks at us, but the whole point, though, is that is that, is that true? Yes. <laughs> it's true. In fact, that's the gospel, that we are depraved and we're sinful and we need a go-between, and Jesus was the go-between. And so we're pressing against that. And she comes out and says later on, that is a big fat lie. That's not true. That's what I grew up 100% believing. I thought it was the gospel. Well, it is the gospel. And so if you're going to deny depravity, eventually you're going to get to the point of saying, really? We're not that bad. And so why did Jesus have to die in the first place? Because we're actually essentially good. Well, again, you ask the question, what does God's word say? And so, yeah, we're spending a lot of time pressing into what God's word says about this topic. And that's what Paul is doing. Hey, the pagans, they're without excuse because they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Yeah, you righteous people, you're depraved as well. You're evil as well. And here, you hypocrites. But let's be honest. We want to be good. We want to be worthy. And that is the gospel of our day and age. It's the gospel of our culture. You're worthy. You're good. You're special. You're, you're incredible. Well, here's the deal. Look at Romans 3 and verse 9 just to put a fine point on the topic. This is where Paul is gonna head, okay? So this is the end of kind of the first argument. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I think I just need to to help you understand why we're doing what we're doing. But here's verse number nine, look at this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we already charge that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. Can you read this last phrase with me? None is righteous, no, not one. Say that part again. None is righteous, no, not one. So does the Bible teach that we're totally depraved? Everyone say yes. <laughs> and so if we go through and begin questioning, are we really that bad? Are we really that bad? Well, you're, you gotta go to God's word to answer that question. And as I read, none are righteous, no, not one. But here's, here's, here's the good news. God loved you anyway. And Jesus came and bore your punishment on the cross and died for your sin and then rose again 
And when you come to him by faith and that alone, faith and faith alone, church, say that with me, faith and faith alone. When you come by faith and faith alone to the cross of Jesus Christ, even though you are wicked, he loves you and he forgives you. And at the end of the day, listen, it's not about how good you are. It's about how good God is. So we need this reminder. I need to say it again and again as your pastor to remind you this is the truth. And it just makes the gospel so much sweeter. And listen, so much more secure because I know deep down I'm not that good. <laughs> so now we get into this topic. And the topic is depravity. I believe our hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is kind of the theme of this text. Hopefully you saw that as Jaden was reading. Hypocrisy is the theme of this text, but, but I believe there's one key lesson. So here's what I'm going to unpack it today. I'm going to give you two errors to avoid, two serious errors to avoid. Then at the very end of the sermon, I'm going to give you the way to avoid it. Okay, so here are the errors. Then we're going to talk about looking at the text. Here's the way to avoid this error. And then I got some grace for you to end with grace, of course, but uh, let's do this first. Here's the error to avoid. Error number one is this, the horrific problem, the horrific problem. And I believe when you study this text out, there's one verse that Paul is leading to about hypocrisy that makes hypocrisy so very bad. So I want you to look at verse 23. We're going to go back and unpack all of 17 and, and all the way through 23, but I want you to look at 23. Why is hypocrisy such a grievous error that Paul would spend so much time talking about hypocrisy? Well, here's verse 23 that reveals that to us. Verse 23 says this, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. The problem, the horrific, horrific problem was their hypocrisy dishonored God to the point where, verse number 24, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That would have been a good place for like a dramatic gasp. <gasps> Let me try it again. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentile because of you. Right. <laughs> it's scary. Because I was created for something special and wonderful. And that thing is, come on church, the glory of God. That's why I was created. I was created for his glory. We spend so much time talking. It's in our mission statement. It's, it's, it's who we are and what we try to do every Sunday. It's so that through the church, Ephesians chapter 3, that the glory of God may be made known. And we want the glory of God to be proclaimed at our church, but I want the glory of God to be proclaimed as a way of life. In fact, do you know what the essence of evil is? This is so interesting. Or a good way of summing up sin? Well, think about Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned, right? And what? Fall short of the glory of God. It's easy to focus on that first part, for all have sinned, and la-di-da-di, everybody is a sinner. But why are they a sinner? Because they 
fall short of the thing they were created to do, which is to bring God glory. Remember, to put his excellencies on display. And these, these hypocrites, they were saying one thing, but living another way. I mean, God's word, you know this? God's word has showed us how to live in such a way that when we live according to his word, we tell the world how great our God is. Why is it a sin to fear? The Bible says, do not fear, do not fear, do not be anxious. Why is it a sin to fear? Because it reveals that we don't really trust this sovereign and good God. And we're telling the world something about our God when we walk around in worry and fear and not trust in faith. Why is it so wrong to abuse alcohol and to do drugs and all of that? Because we show the world, God's not really satisfying enough and I need something else. Why does God want us to live a joyful life? Rejoice in the Lord always, rejoice in the Lord. Why does he want us to do that? Because man, he's so good and he's our God and we're his children and he's ours and, and we live this life of love in his grace. Everyone say in his grace. In his grace, we live this life and we enjoy God and, and it just fills us with joy. It just shows the glory of God. It shows our God is trustworthy. Our God is satisfying. Our God is so very good. And so we want to live a life that just shows the world, puts God on display. Can you imagine in, in our contest where this was the picture that we had to recreate and paint and we wanna redo this so well to show off the, the random, it seems, but yet majestic rock formations, the incredible purples and blues and whites and blacks and darks and all of these wonderful colors that are there, the lighting, it's just so beautiful. And we make our best attempt and we come up with this. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. And what hypocrisy does, saying one thing and living something else, it, according to verse 23, it dishonors God. According to verse number 24, it blasphemes God. Listen, hypocrisy blasphemes the name of God. And that is horrific because we were made for his glory. Well, I, I wanna avoid that problem. I wanna avoid that error. Can I get a witness? And so here's something else then. And what we need, by the way, coming out of this is what's gonna keep us from that. I think one key lesson, okay? One key lesson, one key thing I want you to take away today is coming at the end. One key thing I want you to live out that's so very important and we'll get there. But second, let's look at this. Here's the pathway. So we have the horrific problem and then we also have the hypocritical pathway. And this text is, was so fun to study and so fun to dive into this week. I don't know the last time I studied and dove into God's word and was bored. I don't think I've ever <laughs> had that experience. They're always, it's always fun, challenging, and this text is challenging. 
but in a good way. And, and I think what you see as you study this out, verses 17 on through verse 23, really, <coughs> as you study this out, what you see is this kind of progression that's happening here. It's very, very interesting. So what I've done is I put it all into one sentence for us, and you're going to see we're going to progress through the text, verse by verse, kind of leading to this sentence to help us understand and how to avoid this error of hypocrisy. I want to avoid that. So here's the sentence. We become hypocrites when, and we're going to start out with this, when what begins as good, when what begins as good. So let's see this in the text. I want your eyes to fall on the verses we're focusing on. So let's go back to verse number 17. And let's look at this carefully now. Check this out. And you're going to see the, there are four different phrases in a clause. And this happens twice. It happens 17 and 18. Also happens again in uh, uh, 19 and 20. Uh, and then we get into some warnings. So let's look at verses uh, 17 here. But if you call yourself a Jew and uh, watch these things, watch these things. You rely on the law and boast in God and know his will, and approve of what is excellence. And here's the clause to end it. And uh, you are instructed, for, because you're instructed from the law. So you got those four kind of elements followed up by that clause because you were instructed from the law. So they were taught from the law. And what did the teaching from the law do for them? Well, look at these things, and they're good things. I don't want to stand in a pulpit and call evil what God calls good. And these are good things. So they, number one, rely on the law. That's a good thing because I don't want to rely on my own wisdom. I want to rely on God's word. Relying on the law is asking the question time and time again, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Can you ask that question with me? What does the Bible say? What a good question we should ask more and more. Hey, honey, do you want to watch this? Well, what does the Bible say? Hey, should we do this? Well, what does God's word say? What does the Bible say? So they relied on the law. That's good. But look at this. They relied on the law, but their boast was in God. So thing number two here, they boasted in God. It's not me, it's God. I didn't figure this out to walk in wisdom. No, God told me. I don't want to boast in my ability to figure life out. No, God did it. It was God's instruction. So they relied on the law. They boasted in God. How about this one? Verse number 18. And know his will. How many of you want God's will just to be written down someplace for you? You know what I'm talking about? I was talking to someone this week. I wish God would just tell me what to do. <laughs> I've had that feeling off. I think I told you the story when I was graduating from Bible college and we were all going off into ministry. There was just this dark cloud over the seniors, you know, getting close to graduation because they were all like, I don't know what God wants me to do. I wish God would just tell me what he wants me to do. Well, here's what I believe. I believe God has revealed his will to you. I believe his will falls within the pages of his word. God hasn't showed us how to live, really. How about Micah 6.8? He has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Do that. Now I get it. Should I buy the black car or the red car? Should I be a nurse or should I be a cat shaver? Well, um, by the way, I got one lined up for you right now that we can just shave and be done with. And all God's people said, <laughs> did you really say me out? 
we need ushers activated right now. Um, I get that. I get that. It's hard to know like, like the decisions to do. But listen, I don't believe, I don't believe you can walk within the boundaries of the word of God and somehow be out of the will of God. Can I say it again? I don't believe you can walk in the boundaries of the word of God and somehow be out of the will of God. I believe his word is his will. And I believe he's given some freedom in all of that. But they knew the will of God. That's good. And I love this. And to prove what is excellent. Not just what's good, but what's excellent, like we know. And why? Because they were instructed in the law. They knew the word of God. And so therefore, I can look at this, and I can look at that. And say, That's good, but this is better. This would bring more glory to God. This would bring more honor. So good things, amen? I, I want those things to be true of us. But we become hypocrites when what begins as good, write this down now, becomes a source of pride. What begins as good becomes a source of pride. Now here's the next grouping in the text. So you have um, a grouping again with a clause at the end. In verse number 19, um, check this out. And you, and if you are sure that you yourselves are, hang on to that, we'll come back to it. But look at this. Here, again, good things now, a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children. Those are the four things. And then here's the clause, having the law, having in the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. We have all the truth we need. Can I get a witness? We have all the truth we need revealed in the word of God. We have all of that. And because of that, we, in one sense, very well should be a guide to the blind. There are people out there who are blind that need help seeing. They need to see the gospel. They need to see Jesus. There are people who are in darkness that need the light. And we have verses to prove it. And we have some songs to sing. This little light of mine. Come on. I'm going to let it shine. Right? I mean, we're told by God's word to be light. So that's, again, a good thing. Instructor of the foolish. Yes. A teacher of children, we've felt very passionately about teaching our children what is right, right and what is wrong, and we've done that in our home since they were little. And so this is very much something that we should be doing, regardless of where you send them to school. You should be an instructor, a teacher of children of what is right and what is wrong, what the Word of God says, and they were. But here's the problem with all of that. Look at how it starts out in verse number 19. Check the wording of this out. This is Paul. It's so interesting how he words this. It wasn't that they were those things, but look at this. And if you are sure that you yourselves are, ha I know. If I'm anything, baby, I am a guide to those who are blind. I am the light to those who are in darkness. I am the instructor to the foolish. The wording here by Paul indicates there was a pride in the Jewish people about the things that were good. Because think about it. I'm a guide. That means you're blind. I'm a light. <laughs> that means you're dark. I'm the instructor. You're the fool. 
John MacArthur says this, Jews in general and the scribes and the Pharisees in particular consider themselves to be superior mentors of the community in spiritual and moral matters. They saw themselves as religious guides to the unlearned Jewish brethren and especially to the spiritually blind Gentile pagans. But because of their arrogant pride and blatant hypocrisy, Jesus charged them with being blind guides. And I think we just gotta be so careful with this. I was interviewed this week by a um, college student, doesn't attend our church, but he's a college student and he was interviewing and we had, we had an enjoyable time and um, he was kind of sharing some of his personal testimony and shared with me that he had a brother that really walked away from the faith he was raised in. And when he, the college student, went to his brother to say, hey, what's going on here? The brother said to him, I just can't follow a God who hates gay people so much. And the brother said to him, well, why do you think God hates gay people? Well, if I believed Christians online and how they treat the LGBTQ plus community, I would believe they hate gay people. Now, God's word is God's word. And we were not ashamed at all to preach from this pulpit, standing on Romans chapter one, that homosexuality is a sin. Is homosexuality a sin? Everyone say, it is. It is. But did Jesus love the tax collector and the sinner? And somehow, some way, never capitulating the truth, never saying it's okay, always standing firm against sin, he was also able to show incredible love. John 1.14, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Everyone say it with me now. Grace and truth. But we know better. We're smarter. Those liberal idiots. Be careful. There is a pride to be careful of, very much. Then it goes here. We become hypocrites when what begins as good becomes a source of pride and ends in hypocritical failure. Verses 21 and 22 now, look at this with me. This is his indictment. So he gives these two lists with the clause, lists with the clause. Then the indictment comes in verse 21, uh, and these questions are asked. And, and this is often how, how people teach. I think it's a great lesson for us who teach, to ask questions. And he asks several questions that have an obvious answer. You then who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? And of course, the answer to them was, yes, they did. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And of course, the indictment is, yes, you do. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And of course, again, the, the expected answer to that question is, yes, they were. And then here it is, this is the, the, the problem. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Now, we could go through a number of areas of God's word to say, hey, we're hypocrites, we're hypocrites, but let's focus on what God has revealed here in this text. 
So what are some things here that we, because I, I gotta tell you, church, listen to me now. Uh, we are Redemption Bible Church. And there's a good chance that you are here this morning because you love the preaching of the word of God. You love the verse by verse, exegetical, expository preaching of the word of God. And I'm glad that you do. It's a good thing to love. Can I get a witness? But if there's any error that we can fall into, isn't it this error? To be lovers of knowing God's word, but somehow not be so much lovers of actually doing it. And aren't we susceptible to failing to actually living out the word of God? So let's pay special attention to what's coming next. And here it is. Uh, you who teach against, preach against stealing, uh, do you steal? Do you do that? And of course, now, if I were to ask us this morning that same question, and you might say, well, I've never stolen anything in my life. And um, I, I can't say that. I told you my story, I think last week when I was a little kid and I took that bare aspirin and I wish that was the last time that happened in my life, but it wasn't and God's so good to forgive me. But how about, how about you? You ever take a paperclip from work? Or you know you're supposed to take a half hour and you're only gonna be you know, deducted a half hour for your lunch break, but you kind of take 45 minutes to an hour? Or that question on your tax form, you tweak it just a little bit. And maybe say, I don't do any of those things. Well, here's another way in which we can steal. Something MacArthur pointed out in his commentary on the text. I thought it was important for us to see as well. Now, before I show this verse to you, I want to say, I know we're praying for the giving at our church. And already, I mean, four years of up and to the right, we had a couple of months. It's already beginning to climb back up again. So this is not motivated by that. This is motivated by what this text says. So look at this text, Malachi 3, verse number 8. Will, you rob, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, well, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. In, the, in other words, man, give to God what God has called us to give, New Testament, a proportion with a joyful heart. That's why we do what we do when it comes to the offering, trying to live that out. But all that to say, if we can, okay, how much of the money in your bank account is God's? And how gracious of him to let us use 90% of it to live. <laughs> and we hold back because really, here's the thing, we don't really trust him. Now, again, our church is, is typically a very generous church, so that's not motivated by that, but... Tithes, contributions, where are we on that? How about this one? So there's that. And then uh, number two, uh, so that that's one important thing. We're looking right at the text here. So be sure, I just go back to the text now. So, so you who teach or preach 
others not to steal. Do you yourself steal? Verse number 22, see where he goes next. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? I'm never cheated on my spouse. I've never done that. Do you know what verse I'm gonna go to next? What's up on the screen now? So now you know. Matthew 5, you know this. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Because God, what you've given me isn't enough, and I need something else to satisfy my soul. You're not enough. My spouse isn't enough. I need something more, something different. I don't really trust you. That's what that communicates. In your heart, you've already turned away from what God has provided to something else. Next one's a little harder to understand, but let me help you unpack it here a little bit. So this is again 22. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Okay, where's that coming from? Well, God's word was clear in the Old Testament. Again, he's talking to Jews here, but God's word was clear. They were to have nothing to do with idols, not even to touch the idols of pagans. But when the Jews would take over a pagan nation, it was a very common and practice people to go into those temples and to grab their beautiful golden bedecked in jewels, their, these idols, and go sell them for their own gain. And even after the book of Acts, do you remember when Paul entered that city and they said, hey, we don't uh, rob temples here because it was still very much a common practice to go in, rob temples, and to sell those idols. And they weren't even to touch them. So listen, don't go to idols for gain. Everyone say that with me. Don't go to idols for gain. And let's just get down not to so much the golden calf, but what the golden calf did for our heart issues. It's not the little trinket. It's the heart that wants us to, that moves us to desire the trinket. Do you remember when Aaron set up the golden calf? And and the text, an idol, and the text says that the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And that idea of play was probably sexual misconduct, sexual in nature. It, because that was, that was pleasure, baby. It was the good food, the good drink, the good sex. We're gonna do all of that. We're gonna pursue that. It was the pleasure. It wasn't the golden calf. It was the heart desire that led to the golden calf. And do we seek to gain from our idols pleasure, comfort, security, significance, a name for myself? You who boast in the law, verse 23, dishonor God by breaking the law. This is the pathway to hypocrisy. What starts as good becomes a source of pride. And then we begin thinking, we're beyond this. I can say this thing isn't really that bad because I am a teacher. I'm an instructor. I can say, well, in this case, it's okay for me to because I have the wisdom to figure all of this out. That pride will lead us. I believe this is the sin of so many megachurch pastors who have fallen. They believe themselves to be the guide, the teacher, that they have made excuses for their own sin. 
And we can do that. Now, I know this is heavy. I, I warned you at the top. <laughs> Remember when I talked about grace earlier? I'm gonna talk about it again in a minute, but I gotta get to this. This is the two errors to avoid. Now, let me focus on, here it is, the one key takeaway. Are you ready for this? Here's the one key takeaway. Look at verse number 21. It's the beginning of number 21. Look at this. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? How horrible would it be for me to stand in the pulpit and preach to you, but <laughs> live none of this on my own? I hope that would be a problem with you. I hope that'd be a big problem, because it's not okay. I have God, and this is why preaching is such a sanctifying work. I've got to apply it to me first. Everyone say, me first. Now, normally it's a bad thing to say as I'm thinking about it right now, but um, when it comes to this, teach me first. How about that? Say that with me. Teach me first. God, teach me first. Look, 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 look. Are you a student of the Word of God who seeks to live this out? Because it is easy to come and to sit and to listen and to go home and to not think about it again. It is easy to read your devotions just to check the box. I did it. I read my Bible. I read my Bible without taking the time to apply it to your life. And you have to be so fired up for your own change and growth. In the counseling room, I have a three strikes, you're out rule. Nearly every session I end with homework. Okay, we talked about this. Now, this is what I want you to do in response to what we talked about. This is how you apply it to your life. And if there are three times that homework isn't done, I will no longer meet with them. Why? That seems kind of harsh. No, no, I cannot be the most excited person in the room for their change and growth. And you've got to be so fired up for your change and growth. Do you seek to actually live this thing, to actually do it, to learn, yes, but to say to the Lord in humility, God, teach me first. God, teach me first. No one else but me. I've got to learn this. I can't go to my kids and say, you should do this if I'm not living the word of God. I can't go to my spouse and say, hey, you ought to do this. You know, wife, submit to your husband. Says in the Bible, also says what? Husbands, love your wife. I got to love her before I ever demand anything from her. Me first, God, me first. Help me to live it. That's the key lesson. That's the plea. Now some grace. <laughs> I do none of this to earn God's favor, none of it. And here's some really good news. Jesus died for hypocrites. Jesus hung on a cross as if he was a hypocrite, though he never was. And when he died on the cross, church, he took all of my hypocrisy and he paid for it all. And today, when I come to him and I say, Jesus, I've been a hypocrite. Please forgive me. Guess what he does? 
he forgives me. Because grace is a gift that I don't have to earn. I just have to believe it by faith. And when I live in that, remember this from last week, grace-centered living pushes me to love God's law. There's two errors. Legalism, antinomianism. It's all about the law. There is no law and God doesn't care. This is not true. And I think in a grace-centered church like we are, talking about grace all the time, there could be this hint of, it doesn't really matter how I live. It's okay, I have God's grace. What, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Now, not trying to earn God's favor through my obeying the law, but not living as if there isn't one either. Because he loves me and because he forgives me, therefore, I want to love his law and I want to lean on him to keep it. But I'm going to fall on his mercy and his grace when I fail, live in grace through it all. So I'm going to pray again over us as a church. I'm going to pray again over you. We want to receive the word of God with prayer. And so what I want you to do is take a moment right now and I want you to receive this in prayer and maybe pray this to God, just for a few minutes on your own. Maybe just pray, God, show me my hypocrisy. Would you just take a minute and pray for that? Lord, show me, reveal to me where I've been a hypocrite. Take a minute and pray that. Then what I'd have you to do is take a minute now and pray on your own, just again, receiving God's word by prayer, not rushing out, but we're asking God to lay this deeply on our hearts. Let's just say, God, thank you for your grace that paid for my hypocrisy and help me to live for you because I love you. Simple prayer, God, forgive me of my sin and thank you for your grace that, that covers my hypocrisy. And then help me to live life loved by you. Take a minute and pray that. Father, your word is a gift that shows your glory. And if we're not careful, we'll make it about our glory, not yours. 
We'll make it about our own righteousness and how we know the law and they don't and how we're light and they're in darkness. And we need to shine the light, but we need to shine the light of your grace and your mercy that's forgiven us. And so I pray that you'd protect Redemption Bible Church from the sin of hypocrisy and arrogance and pride because of our love for your word. Though, Father, I pray you never diminish our love for your word. But Father, bind it all, solidify it all on your grace that through it all, failures and all hypocrisy and all, you love us and we're forgiven when we pray. And let that be a balm to our soul today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Redemption, you're loved.